0: good morning or good afternoon or good evening and welcome to another episode of japanese language teachers of australia podcast and today we have catherine Brownlee from new south wales and she's the president of j10 so welcome
1: thanks shingo it's wonderful to be here
0: uh so if you could just briefly tell us about yourself to begin with
1: I am the current president of the Japanese Teachers Association of New South Wales, which is um, a privilege to be a part of. I also am a teacher working full time. I'm the head teacher of languages at my school, uh, which is located about an hour and a half north of Sydney. And so I'm very fortunate to work with a lovely faculty of people and wonderful students there as well. I was born and raised in Australia from a completely monolingual, monocultural, Anglo family. So how I got to this job is kind of interesting, I suppose. And I teach both Japanese and French to year 12. So I have, um, I guess, a perspective on Asian and European languages, which is always very good to have because I think a lot of people get stuck in one camp or the other. So it's good to bridge the divide.
0: Sure. Which, Which one was your first language that you started learning?
1: so i was very fortunate to actually learn both japanese and french at the same time in primary school i went to a very small rural primary school with only 30 students in the entire school um there were five students in my grade wow and we had the one two class and the three four five six there were two classes in the school two teachers and one of those teachers was the principal of the other one. So despite going to a very, very small primary school, they had the local Japanese high school teacher come in once a fortnight or so and do Japanese classes with us. And we also had um, two students whose grandmother was French and she came in and did some French lessons for us too. So I was very lucky and I didn't realise just how lucky I was at the time to have that opportunity to learn not one but two languages in primary school because unfortunately in New South Wales, that's still quite a rarity and many Mm -hmm. students don't have that opportunity.
0: Okay, so when it comes to becoming a language teacher, what inspired you to become a language teacher after you've finished school?
1: It's a really good question, and I'm not quite sure I know, (laughs) which is probably weird. I didn't like school all that much. Funnily enough, a lot of people, teachers enjoyed school, had a really inspiring teacher. That wasn't really the case for me. I loved my language learning. I obviously kept going with my language studies throughout high school. For me, it was one of the subjects that was most engaging and most interesting to me and I guess it was something different to the rest of the curriculum and it was something that I could sort of extend myself and do lots of things with and even back in the practically pre-internet days there were still lots of resources and things like that. So I guess the, the language study itself was my primary passion and as I went through high school and university or I guess when I got to university I did study teaching and education but I just thought that languages were important and that it was important to have engaging and meaningful language learning programs in schools because I had started to realize by that point that I'd been very fortunate in my language studies and Mm -hmm. I wanted to give more students the opportunity to engage with languages particularly students who are maybe you know outside of metropolitan areas um, not in private schools you know schools that maybe don't have a strong history of language programs so for me it's about equity and access and making sure that all students in australia have the opportunity to learn a language
0: okay that's a great story and you mentioned about you didn't particularly enjoy school but you continue on with your language learning throughout high school do you think it was to do with the teachers you had that motivated you to continue
1: i actually didn't always get along well with my language teachers Although I did end up working with some of them again later in life, and we're very good friends now, so all is well. But I think for me, there was an intrinsic motivation in the language learning itself, rather than a particularly inspirational teacher. I remember one of my teachers telling me not to go ahead and learn more kanji because it was a waste of time, and I thought, what? (laughs) So we didn't always have the same ideas. But yeah, school... I mean, a lot of our students don't necessarily like school. There's a lot of things that are good about school and a lot of things that are not so wonderful. But I think that being able to provide a place for students to engage with something they're passionate about and to find something meaningful in their school day is really important.
0: So can you share with us the Japanese cultural encounters you may have had post-schooling?
1: So when I was in year 12, I actually went to Japan for the first time and I went for a year on exchange and that was 20 years ago and so very different world back then and a lot of my friends had gone off on exchange for a year and it was just what many people did. I was very very fortunate because I received a scholarship from Sony that helped fund that for me because otherwise it might not have been possible so very grateful many years on even now to Sony for that opportunity and so I spent a year living in Kyoto and going to school there and doing lots of wonderful things including climbing mount fuji and all sorts of adventures and experiences and was very fortunate to have a number of host families and a really lovely host school and friends who i still keep in touch with to this day been back many 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 times now to visit and spend time with so i guess my first authentic encounter with japan was a significant one being that long-term experience on exchange and you know, back then where where I lived in Australia, we didn't had there was no sushi, there was nothing Japanese around us. There were there were no any of the opportunities we have today to engage with other countries and cultures, even as simple as, you know, eating food from another place. So it seems not so far away maybe these days to students, but back then it was a, a very, very far away, very, very different place and, and experience. So yeah, that was a big adventure and I think that it was, yeah, somewhat, sometimes challenging but very, very worthwhile and definitely something that I recommend to anyone who hasn't had the chance to spend some significant time in country because it really does give you a perspective and a, a depth of knowledge and understanding that you really can't get through any other way.
0: Okay, so how long did you spend in Japan
1: So that was a year um, on exchange. So I left halfway through year 12 and then came back halfway through year 12. So that was interesting timing. Mm -hmm. I came back not having spoken English for 12 months. So that was really interesting to come back and do my HSC exams and try Mm -hmm. to remember how to write an English essay and all the rest of it. Funnily enough, my Japanese results were really good (laughs) (laughs) and the rest were pretty good too. But yeah, it was, um, uh, I definitely made the most of that time in Japan. I, I didn't speak English at all, which was great. And so that was yeah really beneficial and I've been back to Japan more than 20 times since then, not for as long a period. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to to work there or study there again, but I have been back sort of once or twice a year, more or less when, you know, there hasn't been a pandemic.
0: So spending one year in Japan is a very big commitment for a late teenager. How, How did it change your life?
1: I mean, going exchange is, is life changing in so many ways and i'm sure i'll still find more ways you know throughout the years going forward now that i haven't yet thought of yet but i guess for me it was really validating that you know japanese was something that i can do and that i was good at and could you know make a career out of i suppose you know i'd always been interested in languages not just japanese or french but just languages in general you know the idea of it being a code and, and understanding that you know people can express their ideas using different languages and different expressions was always fascinating to me you know egyptian hieroglyphics and all the rest of it like it wasn't just japan japan and japanese itself so i guess that experience of sort of successfully living in japan and getting a deeper understanding of you know cultural differences and intercultural awareness and traditions and just living that everyday life i think that it's it's the the small the small things the small parts of you you know the, just the Nichijosei katsu mm-hmm. where you know just going to school and coming home and doing bukatsu and just all the little things that make up your day-to-day life um are really meaningful so that just really I guess was significant for me and made me really want to inspire other students in the future to have those same opportunities, um, whether it was Japan or a different country, but to, to be brave and to try something new and embrace new experiences and um, new languages and cultures.
0: So comparing to Japanese and French, do you use any different methods to teach those languages?
1: Oh, that's a really interesting question. Yes and no. Although I would say my Japanese proficiency is better than my French proficiency, sometimes I find it easier to teach in French than to teach in Japanese, just because French does have a bit more of a shared vocabulary. So I think just sometimes I don't feel like I'm just talking to myself and no one understands me. Whereas with Japanese, sometimes it's a little bit tricky without so much shared vocabulary. But generally speaking, I think I teach them both in very similar ways. And certainly I find that my students are equally successful and engaged and our, our data and statistics and retention and all the rest of it is is very comparable for both languages. Because so I think the, the main thing is when you're teaching a language that you need to be passionate about, you need to be engaged with it. And, and students need to to feel a sense of authenticity in your teaching. So I think the fact that I've you know lived in both countries, spent time there, and genuinely interested, passionate, engaged in the culture and the traditions and the history and what have you, that comes through to the students. Um, they know that it's something that I sort of live and breathe outside of my teaching job. I'm not just sort of you know turning the page of the textbook and saying you know right page two, page three, page four, let's go. Um, so I think that yeah for for me it's really important to have that experience to then transmit to my students i didn't initially start out teaching french i started teaching french quite a bit later than i started teaching japanese just because my first teaching job was actually teaching japanese as an associate lecturer at a university and i never actually anticipated that i would go back to french really after starting off sort of down that path and so when I came back to teaching French, it was really important to me to go overseas and go to France and re-immerse myself in that culture so that I could have that authenticity again with my students. So I think that, um, yeah, teaching in a way that connects to your students and shows them that the, it's a real living, breathing culture that people you know, are interacting mm-hmm. in every day of the, the year um, outside the classroom, inside the classroom is really important.
0: Okay, great. Um, so what are some of the challenges you have faced or you face, faced on a daily basis
1: every day is an interesting day in teaching I like to say it's a job that you'll never get bored in because there are no two days the same and even if you're teaching the same course year after year there's always something different the students are different the world has changed there's never a dull moment really so I guess every day has its challenges big and small you know for me I guess I, I have a really clear goal in mind that I want wherever I'm working, wherever I'm teaching, I want the language program to be really successful. I want students to be engaged. I want us to have good retention. I want us to have good student achievement. I want everyone to walk into the classroom excited to be there and to walk out of the classroom for, you know, had a meaningful hour or 75 minutes or however long the lesson is. class time. So I guess for me, the challenges are getting the different schools on board, getting the senior executive in the schools on board, you know, making sure that everyone else sees language as a meaningful learning experience um, again in the new south wales context we only have 100 hours that's mandatory everything mm-hmm. else is elective. so for us to sustain strong language programs is is an ongoing challenge because we really only the students we have choose to be there and they can very easily choose not to be there so it's just that ongoing challenge i suppose of making sure every year that we reflect and review our programs reflect and review the experiences we provide our students and make sure that they continue to be engaging and meet the needs of our school communities so i think the the challenge sometimes is finding balance because you know when the world keeps changing there's always a new challenge to to meet but yeah i think strategic planning Helps a lot with the challenges we do face. And yeah, I, I think in some of my presentations, I talk a lot about relentless optimism. You've got to believe it can change and believe it can be better and, you know, believe that you can make the changes that you want to see.
0: Okay, great. So what do you think is the best thing about being a Japanese educator? Not just being in classroom, but part of your job is also giving advice to schools as well as teachers. So what would you say is, the, I guess, the best thing?
1: The best thing about being a Japanese educator specifically in the Japanese sense is the wonderful Japanese teaching community that we have, not only in New South Wales, but across Australia. The Japanese Teachers Facebook group is amazing and has been a source of a lot of inspiration and support over the years. And it's just wonderful to see everyone on their own journey in their own school contexts, achieving wonderful, wonderful things. So I think that, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to be a Japanese teacher. As well as all the other things that i do because i think that it's a sense of community that we have that isn't necessarily the same across other teaching subjects or even other languages so mm-hmm. i think for me that's one of the, the most valuable things
0: okay so being a japanese teacher as well as french teacher what's mm-hmm. the benefit of teaching two languages
1: well i definitely don't get bored <laughs> <laughs> The last few years have particularly have been interesting. So I teach a lot of year 11 and 12 classes. So I usually teach, you know, period one year 12 Japanese, period two year 12 French, period three year 11 Japanese, and so on. So my brain gets pretty scrambled throughout the day. But I hear that's good for staving off dementia. So I'll let you all know in a few more decades. So I think, I think it's just good for perspective. There's languages often have to fight for their place in the curriculum. And sometimes it's easy, I think, as I alluded to before, for languages to sort of pit themselves against each other. You know, we should all learn French. We should all learn Japanese. We should all learn Spanish. We should all learn Chinese, something. And it's, it's good for me because, you know, the students often say to me, which, which language do you like most, Miss? Miss? And I say, I like them both equally. It's like your parents, they love, you know, all their children equally. Now the kids don't actually think their parents love them equally. So I'm not quite sure that that's convincing. They still think I have a favorite, but I really, really don't. So I think it's really good for me. And especially, you know, Australia is very multicultural society. We have a lot of students in our classrooms who've already got other language learning experiences, whether it's learning English as a second or third or something later language, or they learn another language at home. Or in saturday school or things like that so i think for me having learned multiple languages as well also helps me to make connections and relate to other language experiences that my students may have i know it's probably very strange but you know when i was learning italian or some latin or some other things or spanish i can make some really interesting connections between japanese and french or you know french and italian or you know english and french and they all connect in different ways so i think it's uh, yeah really interesting and i think our students also sometimes forget that not everything in the world goes via english you know Mm -hmm. japanese and french people talk to each other without using english (laughs) you know sometimes i think that everything comes through english everything gets translated from japanese to english then to french they sort of forget that things actually go straight from japanese to french So sometimes it's just good for those perspectives, I think, as well to remind students that, you know, the world doesn't actually revolve around English. Mm -hmm.
0: So do you think you plan on learning another language in the future?
1: Maybe once I retire. (laughs) I don't think I have time right now. Anyone who knows me knows I don't have any time. But look, I'm I'm always, as I said, I'm interested in languages full stop. You know, Japanese and French are my two biggest passions, but I'm certainly open to learning other languages in the future. I do also have also studied Italian i am also qualified to teach Italian, although I don't currently. So maybe in the future I would, you know, add Spanish officially, maybe German, who knows? But um, yeah, probably a career change or (laughs) post-retirement plan at this point
0: spent so time so much time in japan as well as in france do you mm-hmm. think you are influenced or you do you think you're becoming japanese without realizing or some of the things you might do or think the way in a japanese way or french way
1: oh i think these days i'm very culturally confused when i guess in recent times i spent more time in france than i have in japan possibly shifting a bit more towards the French side of things. But there's there's certainly that thing where you, when you come back after spending a lot of time overseas and you just catch yourself with certain mannerisms, you know, things like bowing at a zebra crossing when, if the cars actually stop. You know obviously in australia we don't do that but you find yourself with a lot of unconscious sort of gestures and things like that so i think it just shows that we're very adaptable humans are very adaptable and, and, and malleable and we can adapt to different situations and contexts and i guess when i'm in japan i have to sort of shift to that more japanese mindset when i'm in france i have to shift to that more french mindset and when i'm in australia i have to work out where i am or what i'm doing on any given day because i think that you know it is important to behave appropriately for wherever you are whatever role you are in and you know just noticing how people around you behave and act in just the small things make goes a long way to helping you have a more authentic and immerse, immersive kind of experience i was saying to my students today that you know talking about phone calls and making phone calls in a foreign language and how it's terrifying because you can't see the other person's body language to react and respond to and I said, but you know what? The thing about phone calls is that they can't see that you're not Japanese. And so sometimes you can have a really, really successful phone call and it gets, gets to the point where they need to get your name for a reservation or something. And I talked about how I phone cake shops up and I get birthday cakes made for kids when we're on school trips. And I said, you know, you get to the part where you have to give the name for the person coming to pick it up. And then they get really confused because my name is very not Japanese, but we've had this lovely successful conversation about ordering a cake and the decorations and they haven't actually realized that I wasn't Japanese. And that's very gratifying when you can actually have those interactions and, you know, the person has felt comfortable having that exchange and they haven't noticed anything You know, that made them think, oh, this person's not actually Japanese or isn't isn't a native speaker or this conversation's not really going right. So, yeah, I think that that time in country is really important because without it, it's very hard to develop those kind of skills um, and that confidence in those small everyday interactions.
0: So what advice would you give to beginning teachers or for those might be thinking of, you know, changing career to Japanese or even, you know, French and teaching education?
1: I'd say it's a really, really worthwhile career. I find a lot of value in everything that I do. I wouldn't do it if I didn't find it valuable and think it was meaningful. It's not always easy, but things that are worthwhile are not usually easy. So I think it's important to go into it with a realistic understanding of what the job does involve. But at the same time, it's really important to be strategic and to try to manage workload because it can be very overwhelming in the first few years, but it should get better. But you need to be very strategic in making sure that you do protect time for yourself and you do try to have a balance in life because it's very, very easy for it to become all-consuming. And this is, you know, hypocritical advice because anyone who knows me knows I'm a bit of a workaholic, but I enjoy my job and so I'm happy to spend my time where I spend my time, but... At the same time, things should get easier as they go along. So it's important to be strategic and to plan ahead and things that you spend time on need to be worthwhile. It's very easy, I think, to look at, you know, Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook and see all these beautiful classrooms and amazing resources. And you don't need to have all of those. You know, you can have a completely empty, boring classroom and still have amazing lessons. Focus on what's what's valuable and what has impact, I guess, would be my main advice
0: okay yeah, great then finally uh what is your favorite japanese word or phrase
1: well my favorite kanji is hibiku to echo so i think it's just very aesthetically pleasing and my favorite word is conveniently eikyo, which uses my favorite kanji and because i think that this job is all about impact and influence and i think that and i say this to my students whatever you do in life it doesn't matter as long as you are making a difference as long as you're having an impact and you're making a positive difference in the world, you know, do whatever you want, doesn't matter what kind of job it is, as long as, you know, it's making a positive difference in the world. And I like to think that I'm able to do that in the job that I have, working with these wonderful students and my colleagues, um, and also the Japanese Teachers Association of New South Wales. So, yeah, I think my favorite word at the moment is eikyo.
0: Okay, great. Well, thanks very much for your time today. And Kasumi Seidikyoa, osu karusama deshita.
1: ありがとうございました, ありがとうございました。